I'm Nathan. And I'm Emily. And this is Twice as Less Not Perfect. A messy marriage podcast. We're here to get real with you about the fun and the flaws. The grief and the gratitude. The mirth and the myth of marriage. We all know that partnerships are powerful, but they're also pretty messy. And getting to the good stuff can take a lot of trial and error. So join us while we talk about our mistakes and the lessons we've learned about relationships. So far. Because it's not always perfect. But it's usually worth it. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our show. Here we go. We're so excited to have you today. Thanks for listening. What are we talking about? We're talking about finances. Money. Money. That cheddar. We're talking about that cheddar. Yeah. Dollar, dollar bail, (laughs) y'all. That's all I got. That's all we got. (laughs) If you'd like to make donations, please visit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we've been talking about, this is one of the... I would say on the short list of topics that we really wanted to cover on this show. And we hadn't decided exactly how to approach it. Yeah. In a way that I think helped people to look at their own, not just financial situation, but how they communicate about money with their their financial habits and Mm -hmm. their approach. And we also realized that because of the pandemic, the situation has changed. So the conversation about money and how we spend it and our approach to it, in many cases, is going through a natural kind of change. We're having to talk about it differently. We're having to approach it differently. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of things to consider now that maybe we haven't had to um, before in such a way. So we had talked about kind of talking about our financial habits, arguments we've had, conflicts that we've gone through, ways that we've had to deal with our money issues. And then Emily came across this awesome article. Yeah. And it's what I love about this is it poses 12 money questions that all partners should ask each other. And I believe, um, when the article was first published, it's cnbc.com written by Megan DeMatteo. It's um, 12 questions that Esther Perel, who is a famous couples therapist, poses to couples. She has a great podcast. But I think when this article originally came out, it was questions to ask each other before marriage. And it's been updated recently to discuss uh the pandemic specifically, because I think it's a really, well, it encompasses, you know, our current situation as well as questions you should always be asking each other. But I think it's a great time to sort of regroup and reassess what's important, what's a priority uh, in terms of our finances and what is your partner's priority and how do they line up and how do they clash and how do you navigate that stuff together. Yeah. And particularly so the, now during a big shift in yeah. in the economy and all of that. And so the article is titled Renowned Couples Therapist Esther Perel shares 12 money questions all partners should ask each other during quarantine. Yeah, we're going to share this in the show notes and on our Facebook page. So please uh you can definitely go there and check it out. But so we're here today to pose these questions to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have not discussed our answers nope. individually with each other. So this will be just a, a a good exercise. Maybe some of us haven't even thought about the answers yet. Hard to say. <laughs> um, and we hope that if you find this helpful or interesting, that maybe you'll click on the article and um, and ask these have these conversations with your significant other. Uh, or just with yourself to sort of see, um, reassess where you are right now and where you hope to be and how you hope to work through whatever, you know, challenges the fates throw at you, particularly in 2020. To discuss money, we have to honor the fact that money is a charged subject. We think of it on the surface level, we might have very different approaches to it. But like many things, if we're arguing about money, Oftentimes, we're not just arguing about money. We're arguing about things below the surface of that. Mm -hmm. Um, As always, we like to dig a little bit deeper below the surface level. But these are some questions that will help really focus in on that surface level to help avoid some of the other things that come up and really focus the conversation around financial health, financial responsibility, and how you approach that together. Yeah, and just sort of recognizing you know, like Nate said, digging a little deeper, understanding that money can represent a lot of different things, power, 
access, comfort, trust, you know, it's all intertwined, just like when we talked about dishes and how it's never about dishes. Messes, well, sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's about more than that. And when you sort of understand where your partner's coming from on a deeper level, then you can actually just address the the financial Absolutely. stuff in a way that gets all that other stuff out of the way, yeah. I think. All right. Here we go. Question one. Okay. What does having money mean to you? Okay. To me, I have always viewed money as a necessary evil. Okay. And I truly feel that way. I feel like money is something that if we didn't have to acquire, I would want nothing to do with it. I view it simply as this necessary thing that I have to do. I'm a bit of a big picture. I view it as this thing that was created to keep people in control, to keep people working, to keep people producing. And so I'm of the view that if I didn't have to work, I would not work and I would pursue art and creativity and things I found passion in. And I always viewed financial gain as very cut and dry very black and white. I just have to do it to get the right amount so that I can then focus my attention on the things I actually care about. So I think I've never, it took me a long time to realize that I can actually pair the two things together. I can pair a career and earning money with things I love and I can, and those can be one and the same and they can be part of the same journey. I, instead of viewing them as separate. That's really interesting. Yeah. If I had to answer this question, what does having money mean to me in one word? The word that pops into my head first is unattainable. Mm. I think because the cliche of being a starving artist is a very, that's a reality for me. The times when I made the most money in my life, I was waiting tables. And like you said, it wasn't my passion. So I wasn't able to put the thing that I love to do with making a decent living together and and I haven't entirely been able to to do that like you've like you have managed to find that with your job um having money if I were to imagine having money I think of comfort I think of privilege you know I feel like there are a lot of people out there that have a lot of money and it seems effortless to them but to me it feels like a lot of work so there's this idea associated with money to me that equals a lot of hard work, which can be rewarding and give me a rewarding feeling. And it can also give me like a really sad and sort of unattainable uh, feeling. So that's kind of well, and that now. feeling of the value of money itself, how different it is based on how much you have, you know, mm-hmm. what a hundred dollars means to an individual really varies by how much money you're accustomed to growing up with, how much money you have currently, how much money you've earned, how much money you anticipate earning in the future. You know, $100 for a family below the poverty line is a lot of money. But mm-hmm. $100 for, for someone else, that's throwaway money. Yeah. That's carefree, just doesn't even matter money. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we live in a society where there can be these extremes where, you know, the value of a hundred dollar bill can mean such different things to different people mm-hmm. is always something that I think is hard to balance. It's hard to realize that in our conversations with other people about what money means and the value of money. Um, because I think we view how we view money as sort of the default, as if that's how other people are viewing it. Right. And that's not the case. Right. You know, that's great. So, Number two, what does it mean to be good with money? I think we have differing views on this. I think we do. I think, (laughs) so my mother is an accountant. So being good with money to me was always viewed through the sort of, not, not just responsibility, but the sort of like debits and credits and cash flow and tracking how much money you're spending and very much like the daily balancing a checkbook way of doing things. And my mom very early tied 
money responsibility to my allowance and things that I made. She, you know, she took me to sign up for that checking account and I practiced balancing my checkbook and things like that. But also it was a little bit of the, my mom portioned money out to me. Like when I was an undergrad, I would work during the summer and then I would put all that money into a savings account. And then during the school year, my mom basically divided up whatever I made and she deposited that much into my checking account every week. And then what I did with that money was up to me, but it did get me into this sort of mode of like, I just have to make it to the end of the week. I just have to make it this Mm -hmm. many days. And so sometimes I would like front load that spending and I'd spend almost all of it in like the first two days and then have nothing left for the rest of the, the week. It did make it harder for me, I think, to view it as a long-term oh, thing. I, I, I don't. Th- I didn't view money as this thing that I long-term ad- obtained and accrued. It was very much, I have this much coming in, and however much I have, that's how much I'm going to spend, mm-hmm. whether I need to or not. You know, I've written checks for two dollars and 14 cents you know i've scraped together you know i've written a check for the tip on at a restaurant like nonsense stuff because i had you know that little money left so i think i viewed very much money as a a constant like coming in and going out and not as a long-term thing to think about a a balancing but in the moment Uh, in the moment balancing so the idea of long-term investment wasn't something that you really thought about. I didn't, and I didn't know anything about it. Good. Um, what's interesting is that I feel like you answered a lot of question three as well. So I'm, which is, did, did your family talk about money growing up? So I'm just going to go ahead and, um, like you did sort of put the two questions together just for the sake of time, because we have 12, but what it means to be good with money. It's interesting. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So the narrative to me that I kept hearing was, oh, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. And so I think I grew up with this idea that I can't afford stuff. And when I did start to go out on my own and earn my own money, which was pretty early, I started working when I was 14, when I had it. And I think this is true for a lot of kids, but when you first are making money, you want to spend it, you know, you want to spend it pretty quickly. And I feel like I'd spent so much time being told no that I wanted to tell myself yes. And I was very proud of the money that I earned and the fact that I could buy my own things and, you know, take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. It was really empowering. But I did have to go through a period in college of um, I didn't have a lot of money coming in. And I, my mom did the same thing with me. We had the bank of mom and it was a, a fake checking account where I would, um, she'd put all of the allowance money into a bank account and I would, uh, write checks, you know, Mm -hmm. to get that money and we'd balance the checkbooks and stuff like that. But when I got to college, I wasn't able to work as much, but I had all these expenses and I ended up taking out a ton of credit cards and, racking those, you know, credit cards up. And I had to learn kind of the hard way that it's going to affect my credit score. And that's when I started to look at how my financial decisions now affect me in the long term. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about those long term effects at that point. And that's when I, um, I cracked down and started working extra hours Mm -hmm. and I paid all that stuff off and closed the cards, even though that's not great for your credit. I'm glad I did it by the time I graduated college. And so that was good. But, um, to me, being good with money can mean different things to different people. Some people care more about their credit scores. Some people care more about, uh, savings. For a while, you and I have kind of been back and forth about, well, we need to keep putting money into savings. That used to be my argument. We have to keep uh-huh. putting money into savings. We don't have anything in savings. And you would say, but we need to pay those credit cards down. Gotta get that, gotta get that debt down. Yeah. yeah. And I think we focused more on debt the last few years mm-hmm. because uh, that was higher priority to us at the time. But you know, since we become homeowners, I think our focus has shifted a little more to long-term investments. Yes. Um, while also maintaining the sort of day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month yeah. balancing of budgets. And I will say 
just going back to that idea of like what my family talked about with money, mm-hmm. my parents did very much emphasize the difference between using money to purchase things and using money to purchase experiences. And oh, I will yeah. say that is something I very much appreciated. My family did not have like, I did not have the cool clothes growing up. I didn't have like a new car when I was in high school. I didn't have like the fancy things to show off our status or wealth, but we went on vacation every year and I saw a lot of the country. I saw a lot of amazing things. I had a lot of amazing experiences Mm -hmm. because we put that emphasis on making sure we had that time to spend together. And Thinking back on that, I wouldn't change that for the world. And I'm really grateful to have had that model growing up of like money is not a means for us to acquire things. Money is a means for us to experience the world. I think that's awesome. And my family was the same way. I mean, I would go on a lot of trips with my dad and stepmom and you know, my mom would take me to amusement parks and things. It was always about spending time together and creating memories and having those experiences. That was always more valuable than stuff. So that's where we're totally on the same page. Okay, question four is really interesting. I think we should answer it at the same time. Okay. Do you want to ask it? On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate how we spend our money? Ready? Three, two, one. Seven. Seven. <gasps> Stop it. Oh, that's good. I thought you were going to say less. Why? Uh, <laughs> because sometimes we out. spend money and then afterwards you're like, we shouldn't have spent that money. We shouldn't have done it. Well, that's why I said a seven. I, okay. That's like 70%. So thinking, that's average. Okay. I'm thinking glass half full, 70%. <laughs> you're thinking glass 30% empty is what you're thinking. So good to know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that... I think we do better than average mm-hmm. in terms of our, the ratio of what we spend our money on. You know, we have our monthly budget and, the you know, a large percentage goes towards mortgage and utilities mm-hmm. and car and, you know, living expenses. Yeah. And then there's another percentage that's like Netflix and subscription things. Yeah. And then there's another percentage of what we call fun money, mm-hmm. which we have in a different account. And that's where I think we could do better. Right. Is we just kind of have a certain amount every couple weeks that drops into our fun account and Mm -hmm. we don't plan how we spend it. We don't. It just sort of gets spent. Right. And usually it gets spent early, like a week early. And then we have a week of being like, well, (laughs) we have to, you know. To rein it in. Rein it in. And it's not to say we're paycheck to paycheck because all of our bills are covered. Right. We, and I think that was a big thing for us is we, when we first got married, we were putting everything into one account and I had student loans. I had, we had credit cards, we had all these things and, and it was all coming was due all, at different dates. And, and, and we, all my stuff was going in and yeah. coming out from the same account as well. And yeah, I only had her like her theater income, which is sometimes inconsistent. My and union dues. All of these weird things. And yeah. so we would, you know, the paycheck would start and I'd be like, great, we have this much money. And then Emily's $200 union dues would come out. And I didn't know that that was a thing, you know, that was coming, you know, and I wouldn't be ready for it, you know, and it, and suddenly it, suddenly our account was draining. Yeah. You know, and but we also had the car registration that same month. And, you know, and so we really had to find a system that worked for us. I think because of Emily's career that requires so much of her money to be spent investing back into her career, you know, <laughs> you know she, yeah. she does theater. So she has to have makeup and um, audition clothes and headshots and yeah. A lot of time and investment into that. Well, you know? and now in the pandemic, it's about having good quality self tapes for mm-hmm. auditions and uh, voiceover work. And, yeah. you know, it's the reason we're doing a podcast is because I invested money into this recording equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and the money usually comes back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but not, it, it's not always, it's not a consistent. Yeah. 
out and in. And it was a hard thing because like all of our money was going into the same account together, Mm -hmm. but Emily would have to buy a dress for an opening, you know? And when she bought a dress for an opening, it's not like I would then turn around and get to buy a suit, you know? So it felt like, even though it was for work, it felt like a lot of things for Emily that (laughs) I was responsible for, you know? And, And because our money was all together, it got muddy. And we thought about that a lot about communicating it, about budgeting it. And I was putting a lot of pressure on Emily not to do that stuff. And Mm -hmm. she was like, but it's for my job. I have to. Yeah. And And, and I reined it in quite a bit. I mean, you know, it's, of course, I can wear the same dress to several openings in a row. There are certain jobs Mm -hmm. where it's not great to wear right. the same dress to the opening of that same gig right. that you did last year, two years in a row. It's silly. Right. I could say a lot of things about that, but <laughs> that's just sort of part of how it was. Yeah. Um, I've gotten over that a little bit too. I'm like, screw it. I'm wearing the same damn dress. Yeah. And a, and a lot of it is like headshots cost thousands mm-hmm. of dollars. Right. And... Everything that goes into prepping for headshots. Okay, I have to get my hair done. I have to get a facial. Yeah. I have to get a, whatever. Yeah. And then and then buying the prints. I mean, it's just... Anyway, so what we decided to do was have separate accounts. Yeah. And so Emily has her theater account and all of her money goes into her account. And then we have a bills account, which is where all of the money for our bills goes Mm -hmm. and then we have what we call the fun money account which is basically our just weekly bi-weekly spending it's not always that fun it includes groceries Groceries and and gas getting the the nails for the dogs oh the dogs taking care of our nails not our nails but you know it includes vet i mean it includes a lot yeah vet visits for the dogs groceries car maintenance so it's we call it fun but when you take care of all that other stuff Mm -hmm. there's not as much room left for fun and i think that's where we haven't balanced that account so great because we will sometimes early on use it for fun and then realize we have to take the dogs to the vet and right. then we end up putting like, the vet bill on the credit oh, card. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is what happened last week. Right. <laughs> so that's why I think seven, because we have a system in place that makes sure we don't overdraw accounts and make sure that the money that needs to be there is there. It's in the right place. We oftentimes find we have a buffer. Mm -hmm. We sometimes find that if we don't pay attention to it, we'll actually have extra money in an account. We're able to like move that around and pay off more debt and do things of that nature. And Mm -hmm. so the system we have in place is really good. I think it's just a uh, for us, we have to spend a lot more time communicating on the biweekly and the weekly basis, what Mm -hmm. needs to happen what's coming down the pike, you know, what weird one time a year bill, whether it's the car registration or, you know, the, the bi-monthly water bills, all of those weird little things that are hard to just kind of set, you know, Mm -hmm. um, figuring those things out. So I think we, there's room for improvement, but we've got a good system in place to build off of. Yeah. Good. So question number five, and this should probably be a pretty quick one. If I spent $100 on something and didn't tell you, would you be upset with me? Depends what account it came from. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and because of the separate accounts, it makes it a little bit easier. If I pull $100 for something out of my account with the money that I'm bringing in, then it doesn't affect us. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we spend, you know, maybe that much, maybe less. Yeah, I mean, on presents for each other, we try to kind of yeah keep under the radar. I feel like it's not really a problem spending a hundred dollars on on those things. I feel one difference is is like you have your account, mm-hmm. which you can kind of do what you will with. I don't have like a similar account. All our accounts are joint. You have your own account. Right. I don't have like my own account would be like, I'm just going to buy a pair of shoes because I feel like it. Right. Because it's my money and it's what I can do. You kind of have to say, hey, I want to buy these shoes. Yeah. And I'll go, okay. And I just sort of do it. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm not like apologetic about it. You don't have to ask permission. I'm not asking permission. I'm just sort of like, I needed shoes. I bought shoes. I don't have my own account that I can use to buy shoes. And so that's what I did. Yeah. You know, and. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he says, grudgingly. I mean, we could have a fourth account. 
It's just your, it's just your, so many oh, accounts. It's so many. <laughs> okay. What if, what about a thousand dollars? Oh, no way. That's yeah. Yeah. Thousand dollars. Absolutely not. I mean, a couple hundred dollars and we have to have a talk. Yeah. Well, and it goes back <laughs> to what you were saying earlier about depending on where you are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, economically, we're low, mid class, middle yeah. class. I don't know, but uh, you know, a hundred dollars, okay. Wish I knew about it, but it's okay. We'll be all right. But a thousand dollars? Oh my no. gosh, no way! Absolutely, like that's not. a fight. A fight is happening. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Whether it was a needed expense or not, a fight is. Happening. We have to have a conversation about yeah. it first. At what dollar amount do you would you start to get nervous Ooh. to frame it? Are you asking me yeah. or the listeners? I'm asking you. Two hundred. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. $200 just goes somewhere. I'm like, what's going on? What's that? Because I think partly because we have a good enough understanding of our finances that there shouldn't be need for some random $200 thing. Right. Unless it's something we've already talked about or are planning to do. Yeah. Um. So that's, yeah, I agree. Okay. 200 Well, that's good to know. Oh, yeah. Good to know. Uh-huh. I'm going to spend $199 and be like, what? <laughs> You said 200. You said 200. You can't take, <laughs> take back seats. Yeah. Okay. So here's a great one. What is your biggest money regret or mistake? Okay. Besides the credit cards when I was in college, mm-hmm. I don't really regret that because I learned a valuable lesson. This is easy. Also in college, I needed a laptop. And so I had saved a ton of money up like $3,000 or something. And I scoured the internet for uh, deals on, at that time I was still using a PC. So I was really into Dell laptops because they had cool cases and stuff. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and somebody else I knew used a Dell and I thought that was cool. So I found this deal And I can't remember what it was through. Like it wasn't, I don't think Craigslist was a thing then, but there was some communication back and forth with the seller. Um, I was at the, I remember distinctly being in the computer lab in the, in the student center at the university. Uh Can you picture it? I can picture it. And I was at the end of one of the tables and they were like, we need you send money for computer oh, no. Western Union. And oh, I was like, no. oh, I've never used Western Union before. Okay. So great. I'll do that. Figured it out. I was like really proud of myself because I'd done it all on my own. And you know where this is going. Yeah. I sent the money. Some time goes by. I never heard confirmation that they got it. I never um, never got the computer. Oh, man. <laughs> like, weeks go by. I sent email after email after email. And, and sure enough, like it took me way too long to realize that it was a total effing scam and I had just lost all of that money. Oh my gosh. So, but here's what I'll say about that experience. I don't make, it's very rare that I make impulse purchases and that didn't feel like an impulse purchase. Uh, I actually like spent a lot of time saving money, but I did not spend a lot of time vetting the source, vetting the source yeah. and, and really making sure that they were reliable. You know, it was the internet was still kind of young. And so, and so was I, and very trusting at that time. I got mm-hmm. screwed over a few times in college because I just trusted things oh. were going to work out. Okay. Oh, and, man. and I completely got screwed. So it takes me a long time and, a, and I do a lot of research in the thing I'm purchasing and the source in which it comes from. I make sure I'm protected, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so that was a really good lesson for me. Yeah. How about you? Oh, this is, um, this is a tough one. My biggest regret was that when we first moved to Vegas, I got accepted into Teach for America. And the whole part of that was that it was full ride. You know, right. the the degree was paid for. Mm-hmm. And the whole way it was supposed to work is that the college would basically send you a student loan and mm-hmm. that Teach for America would reimburse you for that so you could pay off the loan. But it was mm-hmm. for the cost of the classes, books, all that good stuff, yeah. right? So 
it's a free graduate program, you know, two year master's degree. Great. But we were in this place where we had come from New York, where we were both servers making a ton of cash. You know, we both made easily over 40, 50 grand a year. Which can you imagine if we both oh made that? I mean, gosh, yeah. crazy, you know? Would, yeah. If we easily in Vegas, if yeah. we'd made that, it well, would have been ridiculous. Because yeah, New York was yeah. really expensive. So, so here we're moving to Vegas and we're thinking, this is great. I'm going to have a salary and benefits and all this amazing stuff. My starting salary was $34,000, all taxable. And I wasn't working. And Emily wasn't working, no cash, right? And we had no, we had one car and we needed to get another one. So I could work. Right. And so what I didn't realize is the university sent me a check for my loan and they sent you just a blank amount. So my tuition was like supposed to be five grand. They sent me a check for 20. Mm. Now here we are poor. <laughs> we don't have a car we're scraping by mm -hmm. and we had to get a car. And so what I did was I cashed that full check, right? I cashed the whole thing and we used that and we put a down payment on a car. Mm -hmm. We put a ton of money down. So we, it lowered our payment. It's great. But that car is paid off now. It's got almost 200,000 miles on it. And I am still paying that damn loan. It's true. That car is, I mean, it's a good car. It's yeah. going to last for a while. I'm going to be paying for point. that car yeah. long past the time we get rid of that car. And that is, to this day, my biggest money regret. And I just didn't know. And I didn't yeah. talk to anyone about it. I was like, we're hard up. I don't know how we're going to do this. Yeah, This seems like a good option you know, I don't have to think about it. I can think about it later down the line. Well, I don't have to pay it now. Yeah, here you are. Free money, you, you know. Well, but, <laughs> that's but what it felt like. That was a regret for you. Yeah. But for me, it allowed me to go to work and try to make yeah. something of myself yeah. in, a, in a brand new yeah. city where I had no connections yeah. and no yeah. way to make and it's, money. It's just something I didn't think about. You know, I never considered the idea of like, what if we lease a car? Two grand sure. down, lease it. 140, 50 bucks a month. We get something pretty cheap and low key. Mm -hmm. Totally would have worked. Didn't even consider it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so that's a big regret. Okay. Question number seven. Yeah. What keeps you up at night about our finances? Do you want me to answer first? Yeah. The pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sure. pandemic in the general pandemic. keeps me up at night, but, but I think the uncertainty of where... Uh, the markets are all going to go. The housing market right now, our biggest security is our home, mm -hmm. you know, and Nate's job. But my job is certainly sort of on hold. I'm finding ways to bring in some income, but mm -hmm. I'm still on unemployment, y'all. Yeah. Uh, so that makes me nervous. Just sort of the uncertainty about the future. Sure. And what ways can we find to create more security mm -hmm. despite all of this. Yeah. I think what keeps me up at night is your job loss with the pandemic happened right away. It was just kind of, there it is. Mm -hmm. And for a few weeks, my job was very much like, we're going to take a step back. We're going to pause hiring, but we should be good. And so I felt good about that. And we've actually, because we're a tech company, we've actually been very successful during the pandemic. But there is that bit of you right now that's constantly, and I'm sure if you right now are, have this job and you're working remotely and your company's managed to piece it together and keep some things afloat, get some of the PPP loans, stuff like that, you're kind of in this place of, today it seems like I have a job, but what about Tomorrow, what about next month? What about, you know, Is as that this stimulus bill gonna yeah. go through? And eventually? so I think there's that constant thing in the back of my mind of just, I'm grateful, I'm lucky, I'm fortunate, I'm just grateful to have the security that we do. But just knowing that tomorrow that could all change. And it's not that that's, that's always true, mm -hmm. you know, but it's the fact that. Most of the time in my job, I worry about like, well, what if they decide that I'm not good enough and therefore 
they don't want me to work for them anymore. That's a whole different personal thing. But Mm -hmm. this is things completely out of my control will cause me to lose my security. And it's so different during the 2008 housing crash. We didn't have anything. We didn't have we any were investments. Starving artists in New York we City. Had, we had waiting no tables. We all we had was like our student debt, our rent, and some rent and some bills, and our MTA passes. Yeah. So while the economic crisis of 2008 was happening, we weren't. We were kind of looking around like, I, this seems really bad, but it wasn't really affecting us. If anything, what was frustrating is that we were like so young that we were kept out of the recovery Mm -hmm. because we didn't yet have the funds or the time to like invest during the bottom to like buy a property to invest in a home because you hear those stories about people who did invest during that time and their homes or properties just gained tons of equity and they're like doing pretty great they're sitting pretty now and now in this financial crisis it feels like now this time i have skin in the game and it's scary well it's scary but (laughs) super thrilling isn't it no Well, it's both, right? Just like the pendulum that we talk about where it's like, if it's thrilling, it's also terrifying. Yeah. The the possibility, okay, yes, that we might lose it all. There's also the possibility of gaining more by investing now, right? To to sort of try to get more security or be like, I never expect to be, uh, you know, a real estate tycoon. Mm -hmm. That's not for me, but I do know that a lot of ways that artists and people with sporadic income can sort of gain security over time is through real estate. Right. So thinking about that and how we can sort of strategize in this time to gain just a little bit stronger foothold. I think the opportunity to be creative with finances can be thrilling. Mm hmm. But the overall feeling of like the pandemic, that's the part that's terrifying. That's what's right? terrifying. That's what keeps <laughs> us up at night. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we're moving on. Question eight. What will we do when we disagree about money and just can't see eye to eye? Assuming that's never happened. Oh, never. The big thing for me has not necessarily been our approach to money because I think we view money from very different places. I think the part where we usually come to the most friction is when we're not communicating about money. Correct. Right. When we are not having clear conversations about what's happening and when things are coming through and what we're going to do. I think when we have a plan and we sit down and see it through and talk it out, we come up with some like great plans. We are good money strategizers. We're good through working through tough spots. We're good at moving money around to pay down debt. And we've had really good success when we do that. Sometimes that conversation has come because we have failed to communicate. Yeah. And I think that's where most of our friction has come through when it comes to money. It's not that we don't see to eye to eye about money. Yeah. It's that we don't always talk about money well. Or often. Or often. <laughs> but when we do, we get into it. It's really it. productive. It's great. Yeah. I said the other day, because uh, we were talking about how we need more structure. I need more structure. Yeah. Um, and we, we've done some scheduling in terms of household business and stuff, but, but we need to do more. And one of those things was scheduling in time to like an hour every week or every two weeks yeah. after every paycheck comes in to discuss and game plan what we're doing with that money. Mm -hmm. And then of course, monthly, we have our monthly budgets and things that we sort of work through every month. But I think we need to do it more often. Mm -hmm. And those times where we don't see eye to eye are the times where we haven't communicated. And I think one of the nice things about the way we've set up our accounts, because like, would you agree that I'm the one who's usually a little more like, but our account, but like, what do we have right now? Like, yeah. What, what, you know, is that a good idea? And I always go, oh, it's fine. I'll get it. Yeah. I and got it. It's actually From really, it's really, really great <laughs> because I like that Emily takes some of that pressure off of me to feel that because I feel that a lot, like yeah. most of the time, Yeah, you, do. you know, I'm like, oh, I don't know if we can do this. Like, she'll be like, you want to go out to dinner tonight? I'm like, oh, I don't know. We went out to dinner like a few days ago and it was more money than we had 
you know, we bought that mm. second round of drinks and, oh, I just don't know. I tipped 20% on that one instead of 18 and I just don't know. And she'll be like, I got this I got one. It. And I'm like, okay. And I'm never like, no, I'm always like, <laughs> okay. It's great though, because then I get to be the person. Yeah. Who like sweeps in and, yeah. and treats you because I don't make as much money as you right. do. So it's nice to be the one. It's this weird balancing of the scales, yeah. right? Early on in our relationship, <laughs> I was making more money. So I used to take us out. All and the time. It was no yeah. big deal. Um, and then, you know, he got this job. And over the years, the balance has shifted or yeah. the pendulum has swung the other way. And and it's nice to be able to, like if the rest of our funds are exhausted or spoken for, for that pay period, yeah. then I can go, we're fine. Yeah. I've got it. And it's let helped. Me, let me treat yeah. you. And it's helped break <laughs> down the weird power dynamics of money because there's mm-hmm. some weird, like I don't care who you are. If you're the one earning the majority of the money, And if you feel like in some way, either you don't benefit equally Mm -hmm. from the amount of money that you're putting in or that that's being, even if it's just perception, being discounted or taken for granted, you start to feel possessive of that money Mm -hmm. and you start checking in. You start being like, what was that for? Why did you get that? Why did you get that? Yeah. And it became that we got into a pattern when we started having conversations like that a lot more often, you know, and it started, I think, in Vegas when things were tight. We had to be checking those things constantly. But then when our career started to change and find some different dynamics and different levels and different amounts of income, it became more about a sense of like, I feel like I'm losing something or I feel like I'm not, my value isn't being appreciated or I feel like I'm not able to benefit from the value I'm putting in as much. It's a weird, Mm -hmm. it was a weird dynamic and it took a long time to break that apart. And so depending on the careers you have and your jobs and the way your income works, you know, I always viewed joint accounts as something that it made sense because partly because my mom was an accountant and she was just like, I'm going to run that stuff and no one's going to spend a dime without me knowing it. And like, yeah. that's my mom, you right. know? And so I just assume that's the way you handled money as a couple is together. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, this sucks. This is a pain. This is confusing. And it's creating weird feelings of jealousy that I don't like right. and resentment that I don't like, right? you know? It was very strange. Yeah. it's And it's one of those things that you don't know your style or what works best for you as a couple until you experience it together. Yeah. And we had some trial and error. Like mm-hmm. we just put everything all together and then thought that was great. And then it wasn't. And we had to step back and change, yeah. you know, our course, which is great. All right. So the next few we should, I think we've kind of answered a little bit, but just to go through number nine, what would we do if one of us were laid off? Well, we know. And we know. Because it happened. You get unemployment. Yep. And then we take that money, we invest in podcasting equipment. That's right. That's the first thing. And then, but then step two, profit. Yeah, step two, profit. We make millions from our right, podcast. Right. No, and, and <laughs> what was interesting is, you know, the, the stimulus check, the unemployment, those things actually what we decided to do is use it and pay off as much debt as we possibly could while we knew it was coming, knowing that we'd be better off later if we had less responsibility. Right. You know, and and just as long as we know our mortgage is covered, that's the critical thing. And so we just started throwing all this assistance and you've gotten some grants and things like that. Mm -hmm. We've thrown all of that at debt. So that we can... Some of it went towards investing mm-hmm. in, in new creative projects. Right. Because that's what the grants were for. Right. And then whatever extra we had right. went towards paying down credit. Also, I'm going to loop in uh, question number 10, which is how has the pandemic changed how you think about our finances? And we've answered that a little bit, I think, already. And I think another thing we've done, though, is we refinanced the house. Yeah, because the Fed lowered the rates. And so we were able to save a little bit every month just mm-hmm. by doing that. Yep. Uh, and that was very helpful and allowed us to put even more towards yeah. debt. Well, and like I was able to put my student loans into forbearance. And instead of sitting on that money, we threw it at other things that were accruing 
interest, yeah. right? So we've actually managed to pay off at least two credit cards and the smaller of my student loans. Yeah. And so I'm now down to one student loan, which yeah. feels like a blessing. Like <laughs> it, I cannot tell you how I felt when I submitted that payment to clear out that student loan. It was like, I felt this weight lifted. I cried. Yeah, I you cried. <laughs> it's, it's really lovely. And I would say if the tables were turned and Nate had lost his job and I hadn't lost mine, we'd have a really hard time. Yeah. We'd have a hard time and we'd probably have to consider selling our house. Mm. Thankfully, we have a house to sell. Yeah. We are in a, a very lucky position. Right. But we know that we could have done that and, and downsized considerably. Mm-hmm. Or worst case scenario, we have family that would be willing to house us as they did for two years before yeah. we could afford to buy a house. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, the, we have considered all of those scenarios. We've we've lived some of them to some degree, you know, living with parents as a couple and mm-hmm. um, and renting or, you know, there's a lot of options. And yeah. I think it's important now more than ever to rely on family and look out for your own Mm-hmm. family if people are struggling that there's always or friends that you can crash with for a little while if you need to um we're in a position thankfully that uh i think we're probably gonna weather the storm okay right. but you know you never know right so we're in the place now of trying to just be as secure as we can possibly be mm-hmm. for any outcome yeah. But it does keep us up at night. It sure does. <laughs> uh, n- number 11. Yeah. Do you feel like we're on track financially to achieve our goals? And what are our financial goals, Nathan? <laughs> There's part of me that actually really like resents and hates this question because yeah. again, it makes me, it takes me back to my initial feeling about money and it's like the nonsense human construct that's just there to force us into being a worker bee yeah. for 30 years sure. until we die, you know? Yeah. But when I think about financial goals, what I really try to keep in mind is that I'm not worried about accruing wealth. What I really want to do is accrue freedom. Mm -hmm. And I have to constantly tell myself that it's not about having wealth. It's about having freedom and financial literacy and being smart and making the smart play now in preparation for the future is what has helped me keep that in mind, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to be able to travel. I would love to own a second home in some beautiful place that I love. Yeah. You know, that's what we've been focused on. And I think the biggest thing that has helped us in the last several years do that is our financial team. And I say that because it seems like, I think there's a lot of fear that people have about having a financial advisor, a financial Mm -hmm. team, because it seems like a thing that people with lots of money do. Yeah. And we were very fortunate that we were connected to somebody who specializes in working with artists and creatives. Mm -hmm. And her name's Hannah Rains. She's amazing. With Trilogy Financial. Amazing. She's based in she's our Colorado, but she will, yeah. yeah, she works with people all over the yeah. place. And so she connected us with like, I, I call it, they're like our trifecta, mm-hmm. our trinity, if you will, right? <laughs> that she connected us with a real estate agent, a lender, and also a CPA, a CPA who does our taxes. And they all get creative people and the things they deal with and things they write off and the things that they are Mm -hmm. faced with. And they have been amazing. And I remember feeling so much anxiety about having those conversations because I was like, I have no business seeing a financial advisor. I have no assets. I have no, uh, I have nothing of value to bring this conversation. And she really put us at ease Mm -hmm. and being like, you know, you've got these debts but based on where you're at, on, and she told us all the things we were doing right. Mm-hmm. And and she did, never has once said, you're doing this wrong. She said, let's think about doing these two things. And if you do these two things, you're going to be in a better place. And then we'll talk about the next thing. So if you feel afraid of that conversation, 
do it. It is worth it. And it's do it, it now. And no matter what your income is, now is the time. Yeah. If you are on unemployment, now is the time. Right. If you just lost your job, now is the time. If yep. you're working four jobs, now is the time. If you, we will give you her information. We will share her website because she works with folks like us. She often works on referral mm-hmm. and she, her fees are on a sliding scale based on what you can afford. It is totally reasonable. We've referred tons of people yeah. to her because she helped us find a degree of financial freedom that we never thought we would have. Yeah, we, we never thought we'd buy a home. We didn't think it was possible, you know? And so don't be afraid to, to ask for help and don't be intimidated. There's a lot of great people out there who are looking to help people who are unsure. Um, and she's really good about not getting us bogged down in the language and the terminology and the, the gobbledygook, right? She asks yeah. us what we want to do, what we're trying to do, and she helps us find meaningful ways to do that. And yeah. it's really, really awesome. She also is involved in theater herself. She directs plays at her kids' schools and musicals, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, she's a cool lady. So thank you, Hannah. Uh, we love you. You have really helped us feel You're like we are, you are our to hero. To the whole team, to Hannah, to Matt, Matt to La, <laughs> all of you. Yeah. You're amazing. And they've really helped us feel like we are on track to yeah. achieve those goals. So that's great. Okay. Last question. Dun, 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 dun. Here we go. What's one money habit that you admire about me? <laughs> I think I admire how grounded you are about money. I think sometimes I get my head in the clouds about money a little bit, you know, like I'm up here in the ether and all the little possibilities are just floating in the ether. Mm-hmm. And I fan I like to fantasize a lot about what we could do. Uh-huh. And you always kind of pull me down to earth. <laughs> sometimes it's a bit of a buzzkill, but oftentimes it's really good to oh. have that voice of reason to go, okay, but what can we afford? I don't know if we can afford three weeks of vacation, Uh, you know, and I don't mean to be giving you like a, a, an insult described as backhanded. (laughs) I'm a, you're like a lead balloon to my dreams. (laughs) No, but I, I think the trap that I fall into is that I have all these fantasies and these ideas of what I want to do and I get excited and then I want to do it and I don't always think about the repercussions. And so you are a great balance to me to go, okay, if we do this, then what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Right. And you force me and us to have the conversation of like really working it out. I think that I am. How to actualize it. Yeah. 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 What, and, and it's not like you're a naysayer. It's just that you force me to look at the practical aspect mm-hmm. of it and actually figure out how to do it and how to make it work. Well, yeah. I mean, because it's true. It's it's really fun to like fantasize about the second home you're going to have up in the mountains or on the coast. It's less fun to be like, but what about APR financing? What about, what about the pro- <laughs> the mortgage prime rate? And like, that sucks. <laughs> but, you know, but it's important to do that if we want to actually do some of those things. And there have been times we've gotten better about determining when you're like just fantasizing. Yes. And when you're actually talking about it, because I'll be like, what about subprime mortgage? You're like, just let me just have me have my dream. My thing. I'm not talking seriously right now. Yeah. And I'll be like, okay. And do you remember I, every place we used to travel? I'd be like, what about having a little home here? Wouldn't it be great to have a little like, home? We and you're can't like, oh have God, a home here and San Antonio and in New York and in and Paris. In Paris. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, and I'd be like, I'm never going to make that much money in my life. And I, and she'd be like, oh my gosh, I was just, calm down. I was just being romantic. Right. <laughs> and fantasizing. <laughs> Not really. Uh, but it's fun to imagine yeah. sometimes. So yeah, you're the voice of reason. You help us to sort through things practically. How to make it happen. Realistically. Right. Yeah. And make a plan. Uh, I think I've gotten much better at having that voice of reason for myself since we got together. How about you? Oh, Oh, you weren't going to answer. Oh, I have to you were th- just going to, oh, <laughs> let me just, let me just ask the question. Oh again. yeah. Nate, <laughs> what's one money habit that you admire about me? I really appreciate that you view money as 
a tool. And you also view money as this thing that is a replenishing thing. It's not static. You know, you're really good at reminding me there will be more money next week, next year, mm-hmm. at this time. And it, it's gotten me to view things more in the long term and to think more flexibly about it. Because you'll say, well, I want to, it'd be really great if we could do this. I'm like, well, I don't know how we can afford that right now. And you could be like, well, we can't afford it right now, knowing that we can always make more. There will be more of it coming. We can do extra things. And so it's made me think more creative. And I think part of that is because you are a person who grew up with the hustle because you worked from a very young age and you've always had that hustle. If one job's not enough, then I'm going to get a second job, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was something that I had to really like take in and understand. And when it got to the point of how do we achieve some of the things, especially in terms of like getting rid of debt, I was like, well, how do we do this? How do we get out of this? And you were like, there will be more. We can Mm -hmm. always make more. We can always put more. And we'll I'd put like, a little bit from every and I'd paycheck. Look and around. I'd be like, well, where? I don't see where it's coming from. Here's a side hustle we you can know? do. And I started doing Instacart mm-hmm. last year. And I committed to making $200 a week mm-hmm. and putting all of that on credit card. Yeah, and the, I would match it with my account. Yeah. And we did it. It was this fun game where we, oh we would goodness. go out together. And we've had some of our, I've had some really fun times yeah. with you shopping for other people <laughs> together. Yeah. We've joked a lot. And we just, I love the hustle. I've missed mm-hmm. it since I was a, I know a server. And so it's like, how fast can we get this milk? How <laughs> fast can we get to, you know, we drive safely, but how fast can we like yeah. deliver these groceries? Yeah. And, and how much money can we make so we can pay off that debt so we can feel that freedom and it was amazing how that extra hustle that extra grind you know it was so motivating and it was so such a relief every time i saw that ticking down Mm -hmm. and so that's something i really appreciate about you is that you have a very uh prosperity driven view of it you you view it money is not something that you're gonna make and then lose It's something you're going to make, utilize to the best of your ability Mm -hmm. until you get the next round so you can utilize that. Mm -hmm. So that's something I really appreciate about you. It feels like what we're saying is that each other's strengths balance out our weaknesses. Yeah. So we we work well as a team. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend asking your partner these questions and vice versa. Don't just only ask them. And again, we'll share them on our social media. That was a good exercise, I think. Yeah. 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 So we wanted to get the business stuff out of the way and let you know that we have a really exciting special episode coming up. On Halloween. Yeah, it's our Halloween episode. And we're not going to tell you exactly what it's about. What we will say about this upcoming Halloween special is that we are breaking down a very famous couple and talking about why their relationship is so successful. It's also related to our Halloween costumes. And here's a little hint for you. That's all you get. That's all you get. So you better stay tuned. Come see us at the end of the week on Halloween. Anything else? Rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. So we want to thank you all again for all of your support during our giveaway weeks. We got a ton of love, lots of great reviews on Apple podcasts and ratings and, um, and subscriptions. We just want you to keep on subscribing, listening, rating, reviewing, tell all of your friends, uh, we're a young podcast. So the way we can grow and the way all podcasts grow is through word of mouth. Yep. So, uh, so use your mouths. And yeah. uh, tell everybody, you know, if you like us, tell people about us. Yeah. And send us your questions. We want to hear from you about the questions you have about marriage, relationships, how we've dealt with certain issues, mm-hmm. questions that are coming up in your own relationships so that we can really start giving you content that's going to help you where you're at and help meet you in your relationship needs, because this is part of What we want to do is have conversations with people and be a friend to our listeners in the room Mm -hmm. to share the struggles, the hardships, the victories, the successes, all of those things. Right. So we want to hear from you. Yes, please let us know. 
um, well, let us know what you're dealing with and we and we'll we'll dig into it with you. So thank you so much for listening. See you on Halloween. Thanks for listening to Twice Is Less Not Perfect. Want to hear more about what it takes to have a messy marriage? Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And share us with your friends and family. You can follow us on all the socials. Find us on Facebook at Messy Marriage Podcast. And Instagram at A Messy Marriage Podcast. Have a question or an idea for an episode? Email us at lessnotperfect at gmail.com. And remember, when it comes to marriage, mess is more.